Eric Brook has 177 goals for Manchester City. And so now does Sergio Aguero. Oh, what a ball. Here they go, De Bruyne for Sané. It's three. Off they go again. This team is built for goal scoring. And so many are capable of adding to the tally. Another glorious ball from De Bruyne. Another telling finish from Sane, his seventh goal in ten games. And a mistake by Lovren and Kane's away. Son up with him. Ali making touch as well. But this is Son! Superb from Spurs! Another defensive mistake. Another Tottenham goal. Kane makes this one. And Son scores it. Matty. his way and he dispatched it a very big moment in a very big match Kolasinac layoff from Ramsey it's Sanchez Sanchez going all the way and Everton are being taught a footballing lesson here by Arsenal who strike at this Hello, a very good day to you all. Welcome back to Sixes and Sevens, the weekly football podcast brought to you by Investobet.com. I am your host, Ollie Wilson. And once again, we are bouncing around a couple of the top European divisions, getting some of the main stories and talking points from a weekend of high-flying footballing action once again. Remember, there are plenty of midweek games going on, particularly in Serie A this weekend, where once again, our attention is focused a little later on in the show. We'll be chatting with Adam Summerton of BT Sport about everything going on with Lazio having an impressive start to the campaign and continuing that this weekend with a 3-0 win over Cagliari. Of course, Juventus beaten last weekend by Lazio, coming back with a big 6-2 victory away on the road against Udinese. But before we get into all of the weekend's action, remember to get on to www.investobet.com or, of course, onto our Twitter handle as well. That's at Investobet, at Investobet or IB Football at IB Football for our dedicated football Twitter handle. Before we get into Serie A, as I say, we are going to look at the English Premier League finally and a chance to see what's happening with Ronald Koeman as his Everton side suffered a hefty defeat on the weekend at the hands of Arsenal. Tottenham decimated Liverpool as well on a thrilling Sunday of Premier League action. Manchester City keep on winning as they beat Burnley 3-0 on the weekend. And my goodness, who would have thought Huddersfield would topple Manchester United up in Yorkshire as the Red Devils finally lose this season and City have some breathing room at the top of the table. Here to talk about all of that and some possible managerial changes around the Premier League is a man who is very dear to my heart as a footballing journalist. Uh, I see him around the place every so often and he's a top, top guest on any footballing show. Sammy Mockbell from the Daily Mail joining us today. Sammy, how are you doing, mate? Pleasure to chat once again. It's been a little bit of time, but uh, always, always nice to hear your voice down the line, mate. Pleasure, mate. How are you? You okay? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Um, much better for seeing you on the TV as well recently, becoming a bit of a famous face and celebrity in the UK at the moment, not just a journalist behind the uh, typewriter these days. <laughs> I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. That, I wouldn't go that far, right? But yeah, it was uh, it was good to make my uh, my debut on the 
Sunday like supplement um, the other day, and uh, yeah, no, hopefully, um, hopefully you can see a bit more of me on the on the, on the box every now and then. And we'll hopefully be hearing a bit more of you as well on sixes and sevens here, brought to you by Investobet.com. There's plenty of Premier League action to dive into, so I don't want to spend all time talking about your career. Uh, and we will talk more about the careers of some of the managers of the Premier League because Ronald Koeman's tenure at Everton has finished um, on Monday. Uh, sacked after a horrific defeat against Arsenal and a sluggish start to the season. Slavan Bilic's his, uh, tenure at West Ham hangs in the balance at the moment. And of course, Leicester is still man- managerless at the moment as well, Sammy. The managerial merry-go-round has certainly started in the Premier League now. Absolutely. I think owners and chairman have, have taken the first sort of eight or nine games to, to take a stop to have a look at their... Um, Look at their, their, their squad and their, and their team's results, and they've obviously leapt to the conclusion that they have leapt to whether it's right or wrong. Um, I, I don't think it's either, either here nor there. I think that's the, that's the way of the world, isn't it, nowadays, of, of, of owning a Premier League football club and being a manager of a Premier League football club. You were given time by a sword, and, and unfortunately, those three guys, um, so it's certainly Craig Shakespeare, of, of, um, and obviously. Um, Koeman have gone. What about um, Ronald Koeman then? Uh, they've spent a lot of money, Everton, and uh, the, the defeat against Arsenal was just the icing on the cake. Was there any way back for the Dutchman at all? And there's also been some rumours and leaks that Everton actually wanted to get rid of him a little earlier and for various reasons couldn't. I mean, it seemed like a very unpleasant situation there. Yeah, I don't think there was any. I think it was only going one way. I think the second today is just including the... Um, Inevitable, I think, you know, get it done sooner rather than later. Because uh, it was always going in that direction, getting a new man in. Uh, so they have as much time as possible to, to revive the team's fortunes. So I don't think there's going to be any danger of, of everything going down this season. Certainly, brother, looking at their squad on paper, is still a, he's still a, at the very least a top, a top, a top ten side, if not, you know, if not higher. Uh, I think the one. One problem that they do have is that they haven't signed a, a replacement for Romelu Lukaku, and uh, that's been the massive, the, the, the key downfall of the, the season so far. You know, the goal he did for Everton last season, you know, over the past two seasons, uh, and losing, you know, you, you have to pay for that. If you, if you haven't got a like-for-like replacement, then you're, you're always likely to struggle, and I think that's been the case. It's difficult to replace someone like Romelu Lukaku, though. I mean, he, he started fantastically at Manchester United and obviously has plenty of pedigree behind him as well mm-hmm. with his goal scoring in the Premier League. That was always going to be a tough task for Everton. Are they the kind of club that have spent so much money but actually just can't attract those sorts of players to them for a long-term basis? Uh, potentially, potentially. But I, I, I would hazard a guess to say they were, they were probably better options out there than with all due respect to, to Sandro Ramirez, I think there are probably better options out there. Um, so perhaps the, the scouting, the scouting network there may need, may need looking at. I know Steve Walsh has uh, done some sterling work there, bringing in some good players, and I think Gilby Sigurdsson is a fantastic player. Um, but something isn't quite right there at the moment in terms of the balance of that squad, and, and that will be the, the next manager's first port of call was to, to, to obviously to rejuvenate that squad there. They, as I say, still have a lot of talent, but something you can't stick in and, and, and that will be the man at the next manager's job. 
when you spend that much money in a transfer window as well, does it always, you know, almost put a sword of Damocles hanging over your head as soon as things go badly in the Premier League? Yeah, I think it's like that strike. It's like a striker, isn't it? When you when you cost when you cost X amount of money, you know, you you expect to hit the ground running, and if you don't score in the first two or three games, then it's a it's a massive it's a massive weight on 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 their shoulders. So yeah, you know. You, when you spend the money, um, there are the the, the 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 higher expectations there, and he's and he's obviously and, he, and he's paid the price. They were they were dealt a footballing lesson, as it was described uh, on the weekend against uh, Arsenal with that five-two defeat at Goodison Park, and this could have come round in timely fashion for Arsene Wenger as well with the uh, with the shareholders meeting coming up this week and obviously only in the Europa League this season they needed to just get a big statement victory themselves this season to show that they're still in and about the place in that top four top five kind of category because they've kind of gone under the radar at the start of the season just because they haven't really done that much that's been very special Arsenal at the start of the campaign absolutely and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of outside peripheral issues at Arsenal that uh, sort of destabilising the club. You've got the the Ozil issue, um, you've got the Sanchez issue, and then I know it's I know he signed a I know he signed a, a two year deal in the summer, but you you still got the the Arsenal Wenger issue. You know, beyond this season, he'll still have you only have one year left on his contract. Does that does that sort of bring you know does that destabilise the club? Does that bring any sort of added certainty to the club that they already need? So I think the result against Everton on Sunday was was massive for them. They had one away this season, and their their, their away record has has been poor. So getting that that monkey off their back was uh, would have been a massive relief. Across town. Tottenham making the headlines as well on Sunday with an emphatic victory. Uh, we'll come on to, we'll, we'll stay on your patch actually, really, because you are very much London based with the Mail, um, and Harry Kane just picking up accolade after accolade in terms of the compliments that he gets from, from managers all over the world. Is, is this Harry Kane going to get better and better? Do you think, are we seeing him already at the peak of his powers? And is this somebody that's going to be sticking around in the Premier League too long? Um, hopefully he stays in the Premier League uh, <laughs> as long as possible. Uh, but if the performances keep going the way they are, every time I watch Harry Kane, he improves. He's, he's, he's added something to his game. Uh, year on year out, he's, he's 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 a better player. I remember watching him uh, the, the first time I watched him this season was against uh, it was against Chelsea in in that league game at the start of the season at Wembley. And even then, I thought, wow, you, you've improved from 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 when I I last saw you. And he's he's just a fantastic talent. And it's not just the goals; it's his it's his leadership, it's his influence on. On his uh, on, on on his teammates, and he, he truly is the, 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 the talisman for that football club. And keeping him will be will be very very difficult, I think, in the long run, in the long run for Tottenham. So, so long as he keeps scoring the goals and, and, and providing those sort of performances. Do you think he is going to perhaps want away? Zidane's been very complimentary of him this week, and uh, after the of course the the result against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu last week, and. And when Spanish sides kind of, particularly Barca and Real Madrid, knock on the door, most of the time English players mm. tend to want to want to wait to there. Yeah, I, I think we should certainly not ignore um, 
Kane's comments from last week where he said, you know, he'd love to be a one-man club. Uh, a, a, a one-club man, sorry. And uh, I think, I think, yeah, I think we shouldn't ignore those. I think we shouldn't ignore those um, uh, comments. But at the same time, as you say, oh, I think when when those clubs come knocking, I think there's a personal there's a, there's a personal pull inside you. Things you know, he thinks you can cut it with the very best, and he he want to test himself in. In you know, in, in in one of the world's greatest clubs, and whether that's Real Madrid or Barcelona, I think that the option eventually will come for him, and then it will be his time for him. And obviously Tottenham to make, uh, but as we've seen in the past, Tottenham haven't haven't um, haven't obviously haven't they've sold their they've sold players to, to Real Madrid, and they've got that link to start that starts with Luka Modric. Um, the last, obviously, the, the last big one with Gareth Bale, with Gareth Bale. So they've got that link. So um, I think if Kane does eventually leave, I, I think it could be for the Bernabeu. Pochettino was linked with the Barcelona job and this kind of gets his name floated around for a lot of the big gigs around Europe when they become available, but continues to stay at Tottenham. Does that play a big part, do you think, for players like Harry Kane to stick around at Tottenham when they see a manager thinking... I want to build something at this club and the players can almost yeah. buy into that, get behind that because he has built something already without the trophies, something rather special to at least watch in terms of the quality and the attractiveness of the football that we see from them. I think so. I think having, having a manager like Pochettino at the helm is, is, a, is a massive attraction to the players that are there. And I think it certainly, it would be it's enough to keep, keep the players there, particularly given their, 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 Weight structure is is a, is a different question, but having having a manager like Pochettino, who is you know who puts so much faith in his players, as we've seen with the number of players that he's, he's blooded through from the academy, Harry Winks being one of the latest ones. And I think having yeah having having uh, Pochettino there would be would be a, a factor in when, when they came to decide their futures. But I think at the end of the day. I think trophies will be one if, if they don't if they don't now go on a go on to win and you know, top of all to work with a, with a trophy. I think that will begin to frustrate some of the players. I think secondly, um, the the wage structure and, and, and the amount that they're paid uh, will well, is, is is frustrating some of the players there already, as we saw as, uh, with Danny Rose's outburst at the start of the season. Mm. Um, so all those factors combined. I think we'll, um, you know, it'll, it'll be tough for me for Tottenham to, to keep hold of all of their players and Pochettino in the long run. It's interesting that, you know, we started talking about Harry Kane and, and end up talking about Pochettino. And it seems this Premier League season so far, we spend more time thinking about the managers and the men in the dugout than we do the players on the pitch. When you you think about Conte and the the fuss and bother there has been around his comfort levels at Stamford Bridge at the moment. You talk about mm-hmm. Pochettino building something at Tottenham, Arsenal, of course, with, with Wenger and Mourinho suffering that loss on the weekend against Huddersfield. Um, it, it's becoming very much a manager's league more than anything else in terms of that star power and hogging the headlines and, and Klopp as well with, with not filling in the blanks in their defensive line at Liverpool that mm-hmm. led, of course, to the defeat. Do you, do you get that sense, Sammy, when, you, when you're writing about the Premier League at the moment? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories on there, underlying stories and subplots uh, with regards to the manager. I think we've got some of the most high-profile managers in the in the world here in the Premier League, and um, 
um, there was um, you got you got you know Pep and you got Pep and Pep and um, Mourinho up in Manchester who are who are, who are doing doing great things up there. You got Klopp who isn't who isn't quite so well at the moment, and you've got Conte. You've got Conte down in London and Wenger down in London. Conte at the moment is fine. To, it looks like he's trying to keep his job while Wenger is, 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 is being Wenger and is being criticised and left right and left right and centre from his supporters. But he's, he's still somehow uh, at the helm for over 20 years. So it's um, yeah, all funny games. It's, uh, it's interesting um, when you think about managerial positions then that Slavon Bilic doesn't have the perhaps the financial expenditure that Everton had this season. Is still in a job with the same number of points and just sat only a little higher in the table on goal difference. But there's plenty of talk around him keeping his job. Obviously, there's a vacant position at Leicester as well. And now at Everton, who would want to become a Premier League manager? Who's going to fill these spots? There's strong rumours already about, for instance, Sean Dyche taking the Leicester job. Allardyce not um, want, wanting the Leicester job, but perhaps wanting the Everton job if it's offered to him. Uh, who's going to be filling in these blanks? And, and for West Ham, how much time does Billich have in terms of uh, keeping hold of his, his job in, in East London? I don't think he's got enough time. I think, uh, I know David Sullivan came out the other day and publicly said that they'll review Slavan's position at the end of the season. But I thought that was a bit hasty in coming out and saying that. Because what happens if they lose to Crystal Palace on, uh, on Saturday and, and lose the game after that. And lose the game. They continue going down that road until the end of the season. I, I, I can't see it. I, I, I think I think Slavon Bilic, as, as much as I admire him, as much as I think he's a great guy, very amiable when we depress him in, in terms of when, 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 we, when we get the chance to speak to him. I think that's... Um, that's all very going. That that club going in, in in one direction at the moment. And I think that's that, that's that's changing their manager. What about the vacant positions then? Who's going to be t- standing in at, uh, at Leicester and Everton in the next few weeks? Come on, Sammy, you must have some inside information from the uh, from the mail at somewhere that who's going to be taking these roles? I think uh, I think Sean Dyche is certainly a, a contender for for the Leicester. I think Sean Dyche is a big contender for the Everton Everton club as well. Um, and if you see why, can't you? Because he's done a fantastic job in the Premier League. British young manager, one of the British young managers. He's done a great job more in, in getting them back up to the Premier League and, and then establishing them. Their home record is, is, is seven It's fantastic. And, and he just, you know, he stabilised that club who, are, who, you know, who have gone up and down the league. Um, in, in, in recent seasons, they're now a bona fide Premier League side. So you can see the attraction in Sean Dyche. And if he doesn't get one of those jobs, if he doesn't get the Everton job or the or the, or the, or the Leicester job, I'd be I'd be very surprised. What about um, a name that was linked, perhaps, as one of the good young managers in the Premier League with the with the England job not too long ago, and, and somebody who people have expected a fair bit from at Bournemouth, Eddie Howe. Mm. He, he's been pipped just you know twelve months ago to be the next success story and in as an England young manager. What about him for for either of these roles? Do you would would you see these as a step up for him? Everton surely would be. And do you think he'd be interested at all? Would Bournemouth be willing to let him go? Everton would certainly be a step up. I'm not sure if he if he'd find Leicester that 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 
big an attraction, but certainly Everton would, would represent a massive step up for him. Um, I think he's he's got this emotional attachment, doesn't he, to, to Bournemouth. He's he he built that philosophy there. He built the way he plays. So, you know, that stick to walk away from there would, would would be a massive wrench for him, and he would have to he have to he would have to make sure that it was for the right job and under the right circumstances. Um, whether that is less that, I can't see it. Everton know uh, if they were bold enough to to make such an appointment, then I could see that happening. But I think they might, might go for it. There's uh, there's plenty of managers that you could link with it. I mean, you you think about at Watford as well. Marco Silva's had a great start there. Obviously, his first year in the job yeah. at Watford, and but he's obviously doing the goods already and a, a, a solid kind of talent in terms of his tactical uh, nuance of the uh, of the English Premier League. Just finally, though, uh, before we uh, we finish up with you, Sammy, I've got to ask you about Manchester City because while everything else is going on, while Liverpool's defence is crumbling, while Arsenal are finding a big result when they need it, Tottenham are scoring goals and United are losing to Huddersfield. Under the radar, Manchester City are just opening up a five-point gap at the top of the Premier League, and normally that would be all the headlines, and no one really seems to be talking too much about it after the goal fests of recent weeks. A 3-0 win at home against Burnley, not the boldest result, but they are looking unstoppable right now. They, they, they really do. They look, they look irresistible at the moment, scoring goals, keeping clean sheets. Um, this is... This is what we what this is what we expected, wasn't it? When 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 Guardiola, Guardiola took the job, um, he t- he transformed that side into into a into a massive force. I, I think that the 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 interesting thing and the and the clever thing that he's done over the summer is he's, he's looked at the team last season. He's identified the weaknesses, and obviously the the, the, the two fullbacks were the two were, were, were the two massive signings for them. Uh, Walker's done fantastically well. And they've added so much to the city side, and obviously Mendy started very well, but has got injured. But they are a better outfit this season than they than, than they were last season. Points of the way they 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 fell apart and they capitulated and they they broke down towards the you know towards the end of last season. But I just can't see that happening at, at City this year. They're far stronger. Guardiola's got you know twelve months of Premier League experience under his belt, and he knows what it's all about now. So. I fully expect them to, to, to go on and win the title. Top dogs in the Premier League at the moment, Manchester City and uh, one of the top dogs in British sports journalism, Sammy Mockbell, joining us on the show. Sammy, always appreciate the time, mate. Pleasure to chat with you. Cheers, Al. Cheers, Sammy. Thanks a lot. Sammy Mockbell there for the Daily Mail, joining us here on Sixes and Sevens. You can follow Sammy on Twitter at, at Sammy Mockbell 81 underscore DM. That's at Sammy Mockbell 81 underscore DM. Uh, top guy, top journalist, and uh, keeping an eye on all things in the Premier League. Manchester City, as I say, on top spot at the moment. Manchester United with that loss against Huddersfield on the weekend. It's at five points off them. Tottenham level with them. Just goal difference separating those two. Chelsea and Arsenal making up the top five. Liverpool languishing in ninth. Perhaps one of the surprise stories of the season so far. Palace bottom still on three points. Losing after that win against Chelsea last weekend. Uh, losing on the weekend uh, a- Way at Newcastle United, Bournemouth sat second from bottom, and Everton now third from bottom. Kuman gone, Shakespeare gone at Leicester, and Billich perhaps to follow as well. Keep your eye on the Premier League. Stay tuned to Sixes and Sevens, where we'll have more from the Premier League in the coming weeks. We're going to take a break here on the show. When we come back, Adam Summerton 
of BT Sport commentator on all things Serie A joins us to look back at another wild weekend of Serie A. The Italian league keeps giving us stories to talk about. Is Montella done at AC Milan? That and more coming when we come back here on the show. You're listening to Sixes and Sevens, the weekly football podcast by Investabet. Albiol with the pass, he's sight. Kai Hom, wonderful save from, ha- from Handanovic, not once but twice. Thanks to an own goal and on the front foot here, Quadrado and headed in. 2-1 Juventus, Sami Kadira. Free kick, Chiellini makes a run towards the far post, headed down by Rugani, and lashed into the back of the net by Sami Kadira. Now Kadira takes it in his stride, has a look, goes for goal, it's a hat-trick for Sami Kadira. Yes, a Sami Kadira hat-trick lifting Juventus past Udinese on the road, Serie A teaching us not to dismiss the old lady after their loss last weekend against Lazio. Milan drawing against Genoa down to 10 men. Plenty more other goings on in Italy's top flight. I'm delighted to say joining me on the show to talk all things Serie A. BT Sport commentator on Serie A, the Europa League and the Champions League. It is Mr. Adam Summerton, uh, also a writer for footballitalia.net. Adam, pleasure to chat with you, mate. How are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Good to speak to you. Oh, pleasure to uh, to have a, a wise mind like yourself on to talk all things Italian football. And we had thrills and spills last week with all the big games on. Um, there were a few repercussions from last week on the teams this week, uh, particularly Juventus with a huge win. But I'll start with your game, Lazio against Cagliari, that you were commentating on last night for uh, BT Sport. And, and Lazio, just a side that really do look the real deal right now. Yeah, I mean, that was their sixth win in a row. Uh, it was very routine, really, against Cagliari, particularly in the second half. They completely eased off the gas, really, and, and just let Cagliari have the ball for the, the latter stages of the game. I think they were just conserving energy with with, with their fighting on several different fronts this season, with Europe to contend with as well. But yeah, obviously, the guy that's really making it happen for them is Chiro Immobile, the, the league's top scorer. He scored his 12th and 13th goals of the season last night. And you're right, you know, they are looking a really good side and Simone Inzaghi has done a, a tremendous job there when you consider the mess he inherited back in the summer of 2016 when Bielsa came and Bielsa went and there was some protest going on about the ownership of the club. Um, but he's he's done fantastically well to turn it all around and they've recruited well as well. Ollie, I think that's something that maybe doesn't always get said. I mean, just to give you an example, someone like Marusic, who, who I thought played well last night, set up one of the goals. You know, a player that maybe wasn't on the radar of many clubs, but uh, he's come in and he's improving and Inzaghi's making, it, making him better. So they've already won silverware this season and um, I, th- I think they're going to enjoy a very good campaign. In terms of the, the mess that Inzaghi inherited, what has been his key point? Uh, you, you touched on, of course, uh, the ability to recruit and, and pick up some names that perhaps weren't on other people's radars. But has Inzaghi done anything else, do you think, to kind of instill this, this wonderful chemistry that they have going forward in, in his system? Well, I think that he knew the club inside out, clearly, from being a player there and then from being the coach of the, of the youth side. And um, he's, you know been able to he's immersed in the fabric of the club if you like already um and has an ethos about him and the academy at Lazio is something that they really try and push and you know a player who played last night for example Murgia who came on and um, was one of the sort of shining lights from the academy Strakosha who's in goal 
knew Inzaghi well and had a great relationship with him from working with him in the academy. So I think that's really undoubtedly helped him. But I think he's just also a very good coach uh, and he seems to be able to manage extremely well too. The players all seem to buy into what he's trying to do and not just the younger players who he knows from his time in the academy, but also some of the older players. I mean, someone like, for example, Radu, who was actually who played with Simone Inzaghi at Lazio. Um, so I, I'm just massively impressed with him, and I would be surprised if he if he doesn't go on one day to coach one of the real, uh, you know, top bracket clubs in Europe. Actually, I've been that impressed by him. Well, he may turn this Lazio side arguably into one of those top bracket clubs with the way they're playing at the moment. And uh, and you did mention, of course, uh, Chiro Mabile as well with his 13th Serie A goal uh, last night, uh, 12th and 13th. His highest ever Serie A total um, was 23 last season. A guy who has found an absolute purple patch uh, in the capital city. And and again, it's it seems like he's been almost off the radar slightly the last couple of years. And he joins this Lazio side suddenly. And Inzaghi's found a way to feed him. And if you feed him, he's going to score. Yeah, he's, he's what I would describe as the perfect poacher, really, Chiro Immobile. That's that's his game. And if you play to his game and you, and you provide those sort of penalty box opportunities for him. I don't think he's going to do a massive amount outside of the box. Um, but inside the box, he's a, he's a great finisher. And if he can get that service into him, as you rightly say, then he will score goals. He had a difficult time at, at Dortmund. I think everyone knows that. He had a difficult time at Sevilla. Um, but he did very well last time he was in Italy at uh, Torino. Um, he's had an interesting career. I mean, people, some people, many people might not know that he was at Juventus when he was in his younger days. They let him go. Uh, and as I say, he's had plenty of clubs. It's gone well at, at some, not so well at others. But he, he certainly seems to have found a home at, at uh, Lazio. And, and on Saturday, he extended his contract by another year till 2022. So I'm sure there was a nice little pay rise in there for him as well. <laughs> but he's, he's earned that pay rise with his form this season. I mean, if you include all competitions, I think it's 17 goals now because uh, he's got two in the Supercoppa got two in the in the um, Europa League as well so an exceptional season so far and in terms of his his season's best I think at Hernan Crespo um, he scored 23 last season which was the most since Hernan Crespo had scored for Lazio and then that was in 2001-2002 Crespo got 26 I think Immobile's on course to beat that Someone someone has been uh, reading up on their Optus stat packs, haven't they? Had a uh, great knowledge <laughs> bombs being dropped down here. Um, let's move away slightly from Lazio. And uh, I mean, I don't know too much personally, but hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And the old lady of Italian football, of course, was beaten by Lazio on home soil last weekend. And uh, poor old Udinese had to face the brunt of uh, Juventus flexing their muscles and showing Serie A once again what they're all about. A 6-2 victory on the road for Juve. Convincing... Great to see, of course, Pjanic, who scored in midweek, and uh, and Kadira is back fully fit, who uh, who appeared, of course, last weekend against Lazio. Uh, Dybala still uh, unable to find his scoring boots after returning from the international break. Higuain, as well, has just been slightly absent with his goals this season, but a a much-needed statement victory, you would say, for Juventus this weekend. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that it didn't all go to plan. Certainly, you know, they were very much in the game in the first half and early stages of the second half when it was 2-2. But I would say that the final 40 minutes are the most uh, Juve. I've seen Juve look for, for quite a while. Um, they were they really did, as I think you used the phrase, flex their muscles. And that's exactly how, how I don't um, view that in the, in the latter stages of that game. They really... Almost looked like um, a wounded animal, if you like. That almost said, like, "Enough's enough. We've, we've got to start being ourselves again." And um, 
the, the last 40 minutes, they were they were dominant, they were expressive, they were forceful. Um, all the things that you would expect of, of Juventus, which they haven't necessarily been as late. I mean, there are, it doesn't hide the fact that there are problems, though. I mean, just to give you an idea, they've conceded uh, twice yesterday. That means they've conceded twice now for three league games running. That hasn't happened since 2003. So, you know, there are issues. I don't think all is quite well. Certainly, it's not functioning anywhere near as well as it did last season when they were just a machine that, that ground out results when necessarily, sometimes battered teams as well. And they're, they're a long way off that. The level has dropped. Uh, can they get back to that level now is the question. So that's going to be really interesting with such a fight on their hands with Napoli in particular. Um, but is it too much of a surprise that they are perhaps not looking as solid defensively when they lost two world-class defenders in the summer? And that's not, that's not easy to take. You know, they lost Bonucci and they lost Danny Alves. Uh, and any side that loses two world-class defenders is going to have a period of readjustment. And maybe that's what we're seeing with Juve. The Bonucci impact, I was trying to discuss this with somebody the other day. Obviously, it hasn't set the world alight, obviously going to AC Milan. Do you think that's just been a deal that hasn't worked out for anybody because the chemistry that Bonucci had in that back line was so good uh, for Juventus? You know, players didn't have to even think about what the other was, uh, their teammates were going to do. They could just read and react naturally off the situation that was played in, out in front of them. Uh, and, and was anybody expecting this sort of repercussion through Juventus's backline? Did anybody actually predict that this may happen to the old lady at all? Well, I think that Juve had become so good at, at reinvention and because the players that they had waiting to come in were so highly rated, someone like Rugani, for example, They've got Caldara, who's who's out on loan still. But I think the feeling was that, yes, ideally they would have kept Benucci. Um, but if they got a deal presented to them as, as financially good as they did, uh, bearing in mind his age, bearing in mind the fact that he wanted to leave, it meant sen- it seemed to make sense to let him go. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right to highlight the, the effect on the chemistry because it was so good. You know, that back three, the best back three in, in world football for quite a while. Um, fantastic understanding and for me I'll have to say that for me it's made me appreciate that even more because I really think uh, last summer if you'd said to me who's the best centre-half in world football I would have said um, Benucci Um, but you've taken him out of that wonderful uh, bat line of of Juventus and I think Juventus have have suffered but equally Benucci has suffered Uh, he's clearly missing that that relationship and and struggling to, to get to the same levels at Milan, although it's still early days, there's an enormous amount of pressure on him because of his reputation, because of the fact that he was considered the only world-class player that uh, Milan signed during the summer because of the fact that he was made the captain as well. So, again, a little bit like Juve having a period of readjustment. I guess Bonucci is as well. He's uh, He has struggled in that Milan back line. We'll come on to AC Milan in just a moment. Um, what about going forward uh, with Juventus? and uh, Higuain, who for the last couple of seasons we have been used to just seeing rattle the goals in for Napoli and then Juventus last year. It's been a slow start to him and and some people are saying that perhaps this is him finding his form that he had perhaps in the latter part of his time at Real Madrid where he he struggled for as many appearances as he would have liked, particularly starts and struggled at times for goals as well. Do do you wonder that Higuain almost has a shelf life at clubs? That, you know, first couple of seasons, much like you see with managers with Jose Mourinho, first couple of seasons it's great and then it all just trickles away slightly. Um, well, I certainly wouldn't have said that at Napoli. If anything, he got stronger um, when he was at, at Napoli. Um, scored 36 goals in his last season and broke the Serie A record. So, um, 
I personally think that Higuain gets way more stick than than is warranted or is fair. Really, I think he's an exceptional centre forward. Uh, is he at his best best this season? No, I don't think he is. Has he had issues with weight? Yes, it probably has. He's had that, you know, for quite some time now. But he's a player that I always think it's it's dangerous to doubt. Uh, and I, we saw that when he came on against Olympiacos in the Champions League when he was left out of the side after a dip in form. Uh, all the headlines before the game have been about how you know terrible he'd been playing. Um, would he be picked? Would he not be picked? Ex-players were coming out and saying that he was becoming a liability for the side. And he came on uh, and in a difficult match, he changed the game and Juve won it 2-0 in the end and he got the first. So I think that, you know, I can't sit here and say to you that I think Higuain's anywhere near his best right now, but I think that um, he's still got a tremendous amount to offer. He's only 29. You know, he's, mm. he's not... He's not over the hill by any stretch of the imagination. And he's a player who Juve thought fit to pay €90 million Euro for last summer. So um, I, I think there's a, still a lot to come from, from Higuain. And you could argue that both the centre-forwards, Dybala as well, is, is not in a great period of form, despite starting the season um, fantastically well. So, um, yeah, I, I still have plenty of confidence in Higuain personally. It was uh, interesting that Buffon has backed him as well, saying, watch videos of Gonzalo Higuain after their victory against Udinese about how to learn about work rate uh, when you're yes. down to 10 yeah. men. Um, yeah. Those weight issues, they're not, not at least stopping him from moving about the pitch this season at the moment. Uh, that's for sure. Um, let's talk about AC Milan quickly then, Adam. Um, a team I'm going to tell you right now that is quite fond to my heart. Uh and it's a frustrating start to the season, considering the amount of money, the new arrivals, of course, trying to strengthen that defence with uh, Stella signing up. Bonucci, uh, you look at Montella uh, and you kind of think, this is a manager that's still trying to really make his name uh, and, and go to a grand places with a grand club as a manager. This might be the, the perfect melting of, of players and a club and manager to, to take Milan onto big things. And suddenly this drawing 0-0 with Genoa, down to 10 men this weekend, down now in 11th in the Serie A table. Montella is uh, skating on thin ice now, Adam. Yeah, I, th- I think he probably is. Um, and it's it's not been the start that, that I think any of their supporters anticipated. Um, but, but equally, the, the expectations at, at Milan uh, were raised to such an extent by that outlay of €200 million Euro that there was always likely to be whatever Milan did this season would be a story. Now, if it all clicked and they went on and did got in the Champions League or challenged for the title, that would be clearly a big story. But they're getting the other story, which is that it's not going well. The manager's under um, a huge amount of, of pressure. Uh, and, you know, if, if it carries on for much longer, I'm, I'm quite sure that, that Montella will be the one who, who gets the blame for all of this and goes. But... You know, we should remember the job that he did in more difficult times when the, the transition of the ownership uh, last season, where I thought he handled all that uh, impeccably, really. Um, very difficult circumstances, and he did an extremely good job in those um, circumstances. They won their first trophy since um, they'd last won the league, which I think was you know, a, a significant achievement as well. But what we're seeing at, at Milan, and have done for a long time now, is that there's always one man carries the camp. And I think that it, the problems at that club are, are much deeper than just one man. And, and there's just a, there's a cycle going on, really, is the way I would d- describe it at, at Milan these days, which is, you know, history leads to expectation. Expectation leads to pressure. Pressure leads to panic. Uh, and panic leads to decisions like just getting rid of the manager, which, which leads to failure, which repeats the cycle. And that's what's been happening at Milan um, for a long time. Should, does that mean that you shouldn't replace a manager who's clearly not right. No, it doesn't. You should still change the manager. 
But I think to be short-sighted and think that all Milan's problems are down to Vincenzo Montella is, is another mistake if, if they make it. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that would be my view on, on, on Milan. You can't buy a whole new team, literally a whole team, <laughs> and expect it to, 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 to click over. And that's what they've done. You know, it, it, They were never going to challenge for the title this season. To finish in the top four would have been, because I don't think they're going to do it now, but it would have been a magnificent season to finish in the top four. Um, but I, I, I just can't see it now. I think there's, there's there's too many better teams. Is it almost a case then that actually, rather than I mean, hearing again that Montella has two games was the uh, was the word that I heard uh, over this weekend. But is it? Do you think it's better then to find after so much instability both on the pitch and off it to leave it as it is, let the dust settle them for Milan? I think it, it's a very very difficult situation because you know. Part of the plan financially was to get clearly into the Champions League. The club have been quite open, and they were last summer, that if they didn't get in the Champions League at the end of this current season, because of course it's the top four now, which is another one of the reasons I think they they spent all that money, because they thought it's top four now, there's another place, another two guaranteed places, because the third was a playoff place. So they're thinking, right, this is worth this investment because we can get back in, you know, this will buy us our way back into the Champions League. But they said if it didn't happen, if they didn't get in the Champions League, then they would have to sell players. So you, you, you are going to get to a scenario where that's going to be a factor, that all that financial outlay, they're going to have to get quite a bit of it back. And financial fair play is going to be an issue as well. So it's an incredibly complex situation, Milan, because, of course, the way that the club was bought as well, Ollie, you know, with loans and interest on those loans, um, it's a very d- difficult situation financially and they, they have to be delivering results on the pitch so this cycle that I just talked to you about that pressure leak continuing the cycle they've now not only got the pressure of history and, and their supporter base but also find that significant financial pressures as well and I think that will probably lead to them um, letting go of, of Montella um, but what they need right now as I was thinking about this the other day what they really need is almost like an Antonio Conte, who, in terms of the way that when he came into Juventus and Juventus, I think had finished seventh two seasons running when he came into Juventus, and it was not quite like a magic wand, but he came in and he performed a coaching miracle really to turn things around to get them playing as a team, um, built a team. You know, that's that's for me is the only way I can see out of this right now for Juventus is to whether that be Montella if he can turn it around or get a, you know a, a damn good coach who can come in there and just do the basics of football and get good players, they are good players, get them playing as a coherent unit. Um, because I don't think buying their way out of it is going to make... I don't think going and spending another €100 million Euro is necessarily going to solve this problem for Milan. It's, uh, it's interesting you give Montella as well two games. They've got Kievo away on Wednesday night, AC Milan, and then they go uh, back to the San Siro to take on Juventus in the uh, earlier kickoff on Saturday. I mean, Kievo have started the season pretty well, uh, and taking mm. on Juventus is a is always a tough challenge for AC Milan. So to give him two games suddenly seems a little bit harsh uh, to do exactly that. Just finally, last question on Milan, and it's purely out of self-interest, I think, more than anything else, Adam. Is it is it a side that you think actually has enough quality in it to push anywhere near the top four regardless of the chemistry and, and, and lack of kind of system on the on the pitch that we're seeing and cohesion on the pitch that we're seeing this year the individual players do they match up with with the others that are going to be vying for that top four spots this uh, this season 
Um, I think that, that they should be challenging for the, the top four, yeah, in terms of if you just look purely at, at, at the squad. I think Donna Rummer is one of the top, well, probably the top young goalkeeper in world football right now. Obviously, we all know about um, Benucci, Romagnoli is, is probably, what you know, the future in terms of, along with Caldara in the centre-back positions uh, for Italy. Chalanolu is, is, a, is a very good player. Belia is, is a player who's... I think got more than 50 caps for Argentina. Bonaventura is a great source of creativity and goals. Franck Kessier, a driving force in midfield. Uh, Kalinic guaranteed goals in Serie A. Andre Silva set the world alight with Portugal in the World Cup qualifiers. Suso is a vastly improved player. Coutrone's come through the youth system and looks good. So, the, the, you know, it isn't all bad at Milan. And, and that's what people have got to... I think there's a... Because of their history, because of the weight of expectation that brings... Every, when it isn't going right at Milan, people get so down, so depressed, so <laughs> frustrated. And I think that, that's part of the problem here, is that they've never truly did where they are and how far they've fallen. And unless they do that and realise they aren't the Milan that won European Cups, they aren't the Milan that won league title after league title, You know, they've fallen a very long way. They almost have to accept that before they can begin to move forward because decisions are being made and have been for a long time based on um, where they were, not where they are. And, and I think that's, that's the, for me, that's absolutely fundamental in why Milan are where they are right now, that, that they've not been able to accept that. And they've, they've tried to plug gaps for so long now, you know, stop gap signings and things like that. And yes, this season, they've really gone out and, and, and bought you know, a whole new team. And I think eventually it will turn for them. I, I really think it will do, but it's going to take time. And it always was going to. Well, those on the uh, red and black side of uh, Milan will be hoping that that time just speeds up a little bit. Adam, you're a gentleman and a scholar for joining us on the show, mate. Really appreciate your time and uh, I'll let you get back to uh, all the match prep for the we- uh, midweek Serie A fixtures that you've got on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Adam. Thanks a lot, mate. Adam Summerton there of BT Sport. Helping to give us the rundown in all things Italian football from the weekend. Of course, there's midweek fixtures as well. This week in Serie A kicks off with Tuesday Inter against Sampdoria on Tuesday evening. Roma take on Crotone, Juventus against Spal, Fiorentina against Torino, one of the highlights of the midweek's fixtures. Chievo, who beat Verona on the weekend in the local derby, take on AC Milan, as we mentioned earlier. Bologna, Lazio could be tasty as well. And Atalanta look to kick on their season against Verona. And that builds into AC Milan against Juventus on Saturday next week. One of the biggest ties in Italian football. Napoli still on top then. Inter second, Lazio third, Juventus fourth, Roma fifth, Sampdoria sixth, making up the top six in Serie A at the moment. AC Milan down in 11th, Fiorentina ninth, Benevento, Spal and Crotone making up the bottom three. Thanks a lot for joining us here on Sixes and Sevens. We'll leave it there for today. We'll hopefully have some Bundesliga and La Liga chat next week when we come back in seven days' time. In the meantime, get on to www.investobet.com. That's www.investobet.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Investobet or at IBFootball, at IBFootball for our dedicated football Twitter account. It's seven days until we next talk football In the meantime, get on to SoundCloud and iTunes. Like and review the podcast if you wish. Let us know your thoughts on the big five European leagues. And until next week, enjoy all the football coming your way. Have a good week.